Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. The Snow and Ice Cooperative Program, or PSYCOP for short, is AASHTO's Winter Maintenance Technical Service Program. Now, one of the primary objectives of PSYCOP and this podcast is to share information and advancements taking place in winter maintenance and road weather, and that's what we're going to be doing on this episode. Now, pavement type is such a major consideration when you're sorting out the best ways to respond to snow and ice events. And today's topic, we're going to focus on permeable friction core surfaces, or PFSs. These uh, open-grade, ultra-thin surfaces have been used by transportation agencies for many years. Now, while they've got a lot of advantages like reduced tire noise and potential for hydroplaning and improved wet weather skid resistance, in the wintertime, there are several characteristics that make it tough for maintenance crews. So to help us understand what's going on with these permeable friction core surfaces, we've got Michelle Aiken and Laura Fay from the Western Transportation Institute at Montana State University. Now, they recently published a paper uh, that talked about uh, friction and the snow pavement bond after salting and plowing on these permeable friction surfaces. So, Michelle and Laura, welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having us. So, you know, one of my, one of my favorite sayings that is that every solution has a problem. And while there's lots of advantages to uh, these kinds of pavements, these, these permeable friction courses, uh, what are some of the issues commonly seen uh, with them during winter conditions? Now, Laura, I think you did uh, a lot of the lit re- re- research and, and things like that. What kinds of issues did, did you all see with respect to these pavements? Yeah, I'll start and then Michelle, feel free to chime in. Um, You know, I think one of the biggest complaints was that they looked snowier. And so the perception was that they needed to be treated or they weren't treated enough with winter maintenance chemicals. Um, So what frequently ended up happening was that additional or excessive amounts of de-icers were being applied to these, um, these pavements and people were unsure if this was necessary. Um, I'm trying to think, what am I missing, Michelle? There's also that icing. Right around freezing temperatures, yeah, people would say these pavements were icy and you could see ice on them. Even if before snowfall, just the temperature drop. They say there was moisture in these pavements that was trapped in there and they would ice over. And the dense graded pavements were no issues and people had accidents on these open graded and ultra-thin friction courses. And, and there was actually quite a few documents in the literature about this issue and there are physical reasons for this based on the the cooling rate of these pavements versus dense graded sort of sort of circle back you know these 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 permeable friction surfaces you know being a gap gap graded mix i mean you know they're porous right and and so to make it good for uh noise and good for you know reduced hydroplaning and things like that i mean the water drains through them and so Mm -hmm. that that sort of complicates the issue when you're when you're dealing with with snow and ice any, any insight into what we're seeing out there? Well, they certainly do cool off a little faster. You know, dense graded pavements can retain any subsurface heat and temperature a little longer. And so I think at the very beginning of a storm, maybe the icing issue would happen first on these a little bit in advance. But then, of course, they're open 
texture caused other issues once the snow formed and plowing and you know, maybe towards the end of the storm. Mm-hmm. They, they did behave differently than what you call like traditional pavement or the regular dense graded pavement. Do you think that has something to something to do with the with the whole friction thing? You know, because you know you you can sort of see the the, the discoloration within them within the voids, right? But your tires are really rolling on sort of they're on the rock. Yeah, they're on, on the. Is is there really any any sort of consensus on on how to treat snow and ice on on these surfaces? Michelle, yeah, we we did some phone interviews, and it seemed like every state was. Um, kind of dealing with it on their own, like, whoa, this is different. You know, they would just start out with something conventional, like, uh, this isn't working. And so I don't think there hasn't been like a, a specific U.S. statewide recommendation for how to deal with these. I, I think we found a lot of states were kind of figuring things out on their own. And what they just ended up doing often was apply more de-icers because they looked snowier. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, not everybody has the ability to measure friction, Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I think one consistent thing that people understood about these was that they did need to be cleaned. Um, and, and that's an important piece of this kind of pavement technology is whether it's in a snow state or not, you should still vacuum your open grade friction course if you want to keep it clean and functioning over time as for a water quality stormwater treatment measure. So it almost just became a bigger issue with the winter maintenance applications that instead of doing it maybe once every five years, it needs to be done maybe seasonally in the spring when you do your normal cleanup, um, which can be hard if it's a whole two or four lane highway. That's that's a big deal um, to get a sweeper out there. Um, so I guess a lot of the work focused more on, you know, what size of de-icer should maybe you, you be using or what's the best way to apply liquid so that you don't lose it all through the pavement itself. Mm-hmm. I know we had a lot of issues with frost uh, and it probably goes back to, you know, the, the comment that you made, Michelle, about that they cool off a lot quicker. Um, and, and, you know, I, I would get, I would get calls from the, from the state maintenance engineer. How come you're using so much de-icer when it's not snowing? And it's like every morning, every morning there's frost. And so it's like you've got to go do something with it. Um, it now, now, you talked about the size, um, is, uh, the size of the de-icer. Is, is that something that the folks really should be thinking about? Because, you know, it, it seems like with the use of liquids and stuff, we're, we're talking more about, you know, like slurries and fine salt and, and things like that. You're, you're saying that might not be the best solution for these permeable courses we did we did find that uh so liquids we, we did testing using liquids and solids and you know there's all sorts of issues with trying to scale stuff down in the laboratory and still represent real world and you know so i'm still going to recommend we do pursue this with field testing but um our laboratory testing involved kind of a uniform spray system kind of like what a sprinkler would do instead of what like a stream application you know like some of the liquid applicators are just a pipe with holes in it that just kind of lay out these thick streams and that's something that could easily be lost in these porous surfaces and our laboratory testing used the spray method and of course we kind of scaled down and atomized it even more than what happened in the field Mm -hmm. but just in comparison comparing those two options um 
using a spray or fan type application was one of our recommendations over a stream system. So, so, so what you're saying is when you, when you put those, the streams down, it's like it hits it and it, and then the open grate does what it does, right? It, it's going to drain it. Yeah. It drains it off. It's, right. Mm-hmm. Now, probably a universal, a universal rule of thumb is you shouldn't be using abrasives, right? Yeah. Uh, these pavements are meant to be open. They have a lot of benefits for wet weather, you know, not talking about winter, um, that, that reduced hydroplaning, reduced splash and spray. Um, and actually these pavements are way more common on coastal areas or Southern areas. And then because of all their benefits, more and more areas that do see winter weather and snow, they started using them because of all the benefits they offer in the spring and summer. And so in the winter climates, a lot of states have used sand on them. And, uh, well, to be honest, a lot of the winter maintenance folks would be pretty happy once they clogged up because then they behaved normal, uh-huh. but then you lose the benefits that these pavements were installed in the first place. So, so now you're back to the whole vacuuming thing in the springtime and trying to get them open back up again. Yeah. So what kind of testing did you do, Michelle? Um, in, in the title of the report, you know, you talk about the, the bond, right? And then you talk about friction. So, so how did, how did the testing protocols work? Well, in the laboratory, we do try our best to, to simulate a lot of the things that happen in the field. You know, so we took some pavement, put some snow on it. Um, we don't have real traffic to, to compact it down. So we used a little device to help compact that snow kind of get a head start on that part of the test and then apply some de-icers. We did solid de-icers on top of compacted snow. And then we also did, uh, we did do some anti-icing simulation. Spray, again, with the spray type de-icing, anti-icing before the snow. Um, but basically, once we treat that snow, we did some extra traffic simulation. Yeah, we, we kind of, we don't have hundreds of cars to roll over these in the laboratory. So we got a head start with a compacting device and then used a trafficking machine to traffic the snow for a period of time. And then um, and then it came down to measuring. So as far as measuring, what we did is we ended up cutting the snow into all these little samples and trying to measure how strong that little piece of snow was bonded to the pavement. We know plows don't have you know, sensors on them to say how hard they're scraping the snow. You know, it was really just meant as a quantitative comparison for all these different options different pavements, different treatments, different application rates. So we tried to measure that snow bond to the pavement. And then we also tried to measure friction. Did you see in the laboratory uh, an an increased bonding, if you will, for the snow and ice on these permeable courses? Absolutely. It was always more strongly bonded on these open network ones. And it kind of makes sense. If you kind of look at the open network of these, uh, the snow would kind of key in there. And when it break, it didn't break off cleanly. You don't pull up the snow that's stuck there in the voids. Instead, you're having to sh- shear that snow. Mm-hmm. And even then, because the snow is not just breaking off cleanly from the pavement, it's having to you know break within the snow itself. We did see higher bonds. Um, There's some photos in in the report there, and um, it, it's like like what you say the the snow you know, still stays in that matrix. And, and even though it's it's at or below the aggregate, it still looks like it's covered with snow. Yeah, they look whiter and snowier. I, I, so I think the laboratory did certainly capture that observation that we kept hearing from phone interviews or in the literature. So we know that it bonds up tighter 
on on the uh, the porous friction surfaces. Um, when it comes to uh, the friction values, did did you were you able to measure friction uh, on these surfaces after you've cleared the snow off, or or how did, how does the friction play into that? Yeah, we um, we just used a little little rubber device um, and slid the rubber along the pavement. You know, and it was meant to simulate a, a tire's rubber. And I know we're not doing the rolling action. Uh, you know, friction on roads is, is a lot more complex. And we just tried to measure a simple static friction. Mm-hmm. But we still were able to measure differences between these pavements when they were just plain old pavement, clean and dry. And that's what you see in the field. Like there's, um, there are plenty of friction measurements on these pavements in the summer that say these have higher friction, even in the summer. Um, and so our, the pavements we used, some of them were from the field and some of them were from the laboratory, but um, these friction surfaces did have higher friction. And when we use the same friction measuring device after these, you know, winter simulations, we were also seeing higher friction on them, even though they looked whiter and snowier. And so in, in your in your research, did you look at, at just dense graded pavements? Did, did you have any concrete uh, or the cement pavements that you looked at or... Or uh, how did you make your comparisons? Well, these were all asphalt pavement types. Um, a lot of the the concrete porous ones are those, you know, full depth concrete porous ones you meant for parking lots and some other applications. Um, these ones, they, the study panel really wanted the kind of the common permeable surfaces like open graded and ultra thin friction course. And so we did um, we did testing on two different open graded friction courses and two different ultra thin friction courses. They came from different states. Some of them we got pavement mix during a job site. Yeah, the um, the pavement folks were nice enough to put them in buckets for us and ship them over. And uh, it was actually an, an asphalt, you know, pavement laboratory that made these samples. University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had pavement engineers make some of these samples. Um, and then other ones came from the field. They were from, these ones were from Massachusetts, I think they went out and cored some samples for us, which is really nice. And so we were able to kind of piece together some samples for our testing from real pavement samples. These pavements have just been around for, for, for such a long time. It's, it's sort of amazing that the research hasn't been there to sort of follow it up. I, I guess I'm curious, uh, Laura, did, did you see a lot, of, a lot of literature out there with respect to these these? permeable friction surfaces and, and winter, or is, did you guys do this sort of pioneering work? <laughs> um, there is a lot of literature on these types of pavements, but not in the context of winter maintenance. That, the one very obvious thing was that there needs to be more research on this um, in terms of how these are used in winter weather states. Um, so I wouldn't call it pioneering work, but, um, you know, Michelle did some great work in the lab kind of setting the stage and showing what people were experiencing in the field is real. And um, I think we got some good nuggets out of this project, um, like fan spray, maybe salter or uh, larger grain size salt, things like that, that, that can be applicable right now before folks are able to get a field trial going. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to be like jumping all around. It's, it's, there's just so many things, you know, flying around in, in, in my mind with, with respect to this stuff. It's like, any, any thoughts on like refreezing and, and things like that? Um, what do you think's 
you know, going on with that? You, you go out and you put your initial applications down and, and things. Do you have to, like, watch them much more closely uh, through the course of a storm? Or, or, you know, what other things could be coming back at you? I mean, that's one thing that came up, I think, in the interviews and in the small amount of literature that we did find was these do require kind of more care in terms of winter maintenance. And it may be repeat application. It may be that you have to get out there right away to start the treatment process. Um, so for a winter maintenance perspective, they might be a little high maintenance um, compared to other pavement types. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um any other recommendations or, or insights or, or thoughts with respect to uh, dealing with these pavements in the wintertime? Well, um, yeah, something does come out because there's a lot of states that are using these optical friction sensors these days. And we, we did actually incorporate some of these in our testing, but there's a reason we had to end up using the little rubber friction measuring device. And that's because as we talked about, these pavements appear snowier even after you plow them even if their friction is comparable or you know, um, better after plowed than before plowed. But these optical friction devices, they are reporting lower friction values because they're seeing the snow. And that's and that's what these optical devices do. It's They're seeing snow, they interpret that in their little algorithms that this is you know ice or snow and slick and it needs to show a lower friction. So as much as we do recommend that there's, there's field testing that needs to be done if we really wanna optimize how to treat these. Um, and, and that means not necessarily relying on your eyes or optical friction sensors. I know why they put extra salt on these and extra chemical deicers is because they look snowier and we can't be the ones that say, well, you can stop doing that. Their friction's fine. We still need. Yeah, you got to check it, right? <laughs> you can't just, yeah. you know, just go with it, right? What's it the future out there? Have, have you guys, you know, you sort of mentioned that this work had, had been done a while back and, and. The, the paper just recently got published. That's when I, I was exposed to it. I, I had an opportunity to to review it for uh, the the winter maintenance the TRB winter maintenance committee, um, and and so when I it was like an aha moment for me. You know, I, I I read through this and it was like the things that you all were talking about. You know, were things that I saw when I was you know responsible out in the field. Um, is is are, is anybody else moving forward with this? I, I, I know you all don't have a budget to, to just go do research for research's sake, right? But uh, is there anybody else out there that, that like has an interest in this? Put them on the spot. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put them on the spot. Well, I'd like to say, um, while we still do trafficking research at uh, WTI and MSU, we're not doing any current active research on permeable and open grade friction course pavements right now. And it is driven by, um, by funding. Um, there are people at Washington state that do a lot of research on these pavements. Um, oh, but actually leave left and she's in Texas now. Um, so I well, can't remember. They might be still interested in they it. They might still be. Yeah. But, um, but she does more work from the stormwater quality perspective. So I'm sure there are people out there doing it, but um, on our end, there's not much active research on this right now. But there certainly could be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michelle, do you have anything to add? There are some, and I'm you know, something we can, that's not in the paper, and I could could just say that we tried it, and we built like a little humidity chamber and just tried to, to see, do these ice up faster? And they do. We didn't measure friction. It was purely visual, and it was just something we did early on. You saw some states are using these, and that's the issue they're saying maybe more than snow. 
they're seeing them ice up or areas that don't see a lot of snow might come across this icing issue. And, and I think that's something that could actually be studied pretty well in the laboratory and doesn't require trafficking. Mm-hmm. You just need like these pavements and you need a way to con- control humidity, you know, pump humidity onto these in a way. Um, and then measure some friction. And that would actually be really hard to measure in the field. You know, how do you predict these these cold weather drops when you have just the right like adiabatic cooling effect? And there's something definitely worth exploring if there's funding out there. The uh, the whole frost thing, I mean that was that was a big deal. And and like you say, they just they just look they look slick, right? Now back to chemicals. Um, you know, most people use salt, a little bit of calcium chloride. Um, do you think there would be anything uh, that the folks should think about with respect to the kinds of chemicals that they use on this, uh, or do you think it wouldn't necessarily make a difference? Yeah, we most all of our testing was at around freezing, um, twenty-eight Fahrenheit, and that's because in the interviews and in the literature review, we found they were most problematic at that temperature. And at that temperature, most states will use salt, sodium chloride. So that really, that's all we tested on. I don't, I couldn't, you know, there's, I don't know if I could really make a comment on the calcium or mag or some of the ag ones. I wouldn't think that they would be any more reactive, might not be the right word, but they wouldn't be sensitive to with an asphalt pavement anyway. I don't think uh, these pavements are susceptible to like pavement damage from any other de-icer. Yeah. Um, there's some research about the, you know, the staying power, the stickiness of some of the ag blended ones. Mm-hmm. And those would, that'd be a good thing to measure and just see, do they last a little longer? Do they provide that staying power that, you know, these pavements seem to need? Yeah. You know, thinking about that, you know, a lot of, a lot of states are using anti-icing, right? They'll go out ahead of the storm and, and they'll spray. If you put that liquid down ahead of time, and uh, so the water evaporates off, right? And, and the salt crystallizes and sort of reactivates when the, when the storm comes. If you're, if you're putting these down on porous friction courses, do you really see the benefit from that anti-icing treatment that you would see on a dense graded pavement? Well, we did measure that snow pavement bond, and we saw the bond weaker when they were as when it was anti-iced. Okay. Um, and that's one reason we tried. We recommend like the fan or the spraying method because you can actually cover the exposed part of the aggregate. Um, you're you're going to lose some. Some of it's going to be in those voids, and and the salt that's down in the voids doesn't help with anti-icing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of these high traffic roads, uh, people in their interviews were saying. Those de-icers are actually there. They're not too far away. And the, and the high traffic cars can actually help kind of pump those back up to the surface. You know, the, the snow would come and it mixed with the de-icers that were down the pour. And then you could kind of pump it up. And that's stuff that we can't measure in the laboratory. But um, that's some of the anecdotal findings from the literature review and the phone interviews. Mm-hmm. So. Well, so I, I guess it's probably pretty safe to say that, that these permeable friction surfaces are, are here to stay, right? I mean, I don't think they're going in away anytime fast. And it, you know, it's just sort of up to maintenance to sort of sort out the best ways to, to maintain them without ruining them. Uh, I think that's probably the, the big thing because they're expensive. They're more expensive than dense graded pavements. And, you know, if you're putting them down there for noise or, or, you know, the spray or, or improve friction during wet conditions, the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, plug them up and ruin them after the first season. But, uh, it, it maintenance is going to have to to work their way through trying to sort out the best way to maintain them. 
Yeah. And, you know, one thing that just occurred to me that would be helpful, especially for the newer folks that are coming into the DOT that are using more technology on their plows would be having a GIS layer of these pavement types in your system. And then that way, when you get to that point, you get a pop-up saying this needs a special treatment or this, you know, this pavement needs to be treated this way versus the other way and watch where you transition from pavement types because that's where you're going to get certain issues with icing. Um, if, if um, you know, if your state has a lot of cold weather and, and transitions and pavement types, that might be a good way to handle that. In, in your phone interviews and things, and, and I know I'm sort of jumping all over the place, but uh, what kind of a percentage do you see of, of states that have these these pavements? There's a lot of states that have these but they're most common on like the South and the East. I wonder how prevalent they are over in Europe. I think that it would just be speculation. I know yeah. I'm looking at the, the phone interview section and it says email interviews were conducted with Italy, Japan, Norway, and Sweden um, for outside input. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, there's, there's got to be, you know, for the other applications, noise, water management. I'm sure there are publications out there that document, you know, where they are and, and how they're used in, in other countries and even in the U.S. Um, but we strictly focus this project on winter maintenance issues. So that's kind of why we have a limited picture of what states have them, um, because we were targeting snowbelt states. Right. Oh, this, this started out as a Clear Roads project. I just checked the Clear Roads website. It's Clear Roads Project. 12-03. Okay, that sounds great. Um, so what I'll do is post a link to this uh, Clear Roads report so folks can check out your work on this uh, unique pavement. Michelle and Laura, thanks for being on PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops. Thanks for thinking of us doing this project. Now, before we sign off, I want to let everybody know that the PSYCOP Steering Committee has adopted a new strategic plan for 2021 through 2023. Now, there are several strategic initiatives that we're going to be focusing our energy on during the next three-year cycle. So head over to the PSYCOP website at psychop.transportation.org and check out the new strategic plan. And if one or more of those initiatives are important to your operation, you can reach out to the champion for more information, or maybe you want to include your agency's effort in the discussion for the benefit of everyone. Now, support for PSYCOP comes from state DOTs who make an annual contribution of $4,000. It's because of those states that PSYCOP talks winter ops and the other products to help state DOTs achieve their winter maintenance mission are possible. PSYCOP talks winter ops is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, just about any place you go for your podcasts, in addition to our website. Give us a like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. If there's a topic you'd like to dive into, send me an email at rnelson at ashto.org and we'll make it happen. Thanks again to Michelle Aiken and Laura Fay for sharing their work on permeable friction surfaces and winter operations. Until next time, thanks for listening in and stay safe out there.